the midterm elections were designed to be a referendum on issues, on the candidates, and on the nation itself. Well, it was that and then some. As we see a nation that's virtually deadlocked, with what looks like it could be another 50-50 split Senate, a slightly Republican majority in the United States Congress, and with the rest of the nation asking, of course, what does this all mean? Today, Dan McFall of Ballard Partners is here to discuss what all of this could mean to America. From Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the same party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. For 26 years, McFall has come to know Washington as much as Washington has come to know Dan McFall. A graduate of the University of Florida, Dan McFall worked as chief of staff to two members of Congress. And with Ballard Partners, he's become a walking textbook on how Congress works, how it thinks, and where it's likely to move. Dan, welcome to the show. Adam, thank you for having me here. Justin, it's a real pleasure to be here with you again. I've been waiting for the invitation for the show. Thank you for picking a, a day after I stayed up to 3.30 in the morning watching Returns. Well, we have a heavy screen on guests. So, you know, I want you to know you've gotten through that screen with flying colors. Well, we'll see how you, we'll see how you do in your audition here, Dan. No, we're, we're obviously honored to have you and thrilled to, to, especially at this time. So the American people have spoken. Democracy has taken effect throughout the land. And we now looks like we will have... Uh, the likelihood of a partially divided government. We don't really know what the ultimate outcome will be in terms of who controls the House or the Senate. But right now, as we record this, it looks very, very likely that we will have a Republican-controlled House of Representatives. So with that, we're going to have a Democratic president in White House for two years. We're likely going to have a Republican House of Representatives for the next two years. Does that foretell a lot of gridlock and more backbiting and fighting and food fighting in Washington? Not necessarily, Justin. I mean, it's a great question. And, and we've seen the last decade plus that Congress has not worked under regular order. And there's been a lot of food fighting, as you say, back and forth. But you know, if you go back uh, to uh, the Bill Clinton years, to, to the mid-90s, early 90s, uh, Contract with America and the Republican Revolution in 1994, I think folks forget that uh, in the 104th Congress, the House Republicans had 230 seats. So it wasn't a huge majority. 218 is what you need for a majority. Um, they, were, they were just a little bit over that. 105th Congress, they were uh, down to um, 216 seats. So again, it, uh, it's very tight, and it could go really either way. Um, I, I think it depends on what uh, the administration, um, what the House and Senate leadership want to accomplish. Um, you know, the one thing that the Republicans should take away from the election last night is you got to have a plan. It's not enough anymore to just say, hey, the other guy's doing it wrong. The other guy can't run the economy. The other guy can't take care of the border. The other guy can't uh, fight crime. You got to have a plan. You got to have a doer. Um, I think that's part of the success that Ron DeSantis um, had last night that we saw. But uh, but to get back to your question, yeah, I, I, I think that we could see gridlock. We could see the, the, the polar extremes of the party fight each other and, and, and lob back and forth. But clearly, that's not what the people want. The people want everybody to roll up their sleeves, get together, tackle uh, inflation, uh, tackle issues like the economy, tackle issues like immigration and, and, and the border. And let's not forget about China and, and Russia and the Ukraine that are still hanging out there. Exactly. They're talking about, you know, having 
Medicina plan and issues. Representative McCarthy recently put on the plate some of the things that he would like a new Republican-led Congress to focus on. And three of the things right out of the box are border security, the economy, and crime. What about crime in particular, which was, was supposed to be such a huge differentiator in the elections in the midterms, especially in New York? What could happen on crime that could change the conversation about that issue and even overall the conversation in Washington? Crime's been a big issue. It's It's been around the number two, number three issue when you ask uh, voters in exit polls. So it's it's a very important issue. Uh, it made New York competitive. You saw Lee Zeldin, the former member of Congress, almost uh, become governor, very close. And a lot of that was due to his focus on, on fighting crime and controlling crime. We saw in the 90s and in the 2000s, crime bills passed. And it was largely associated with a Democratic uh, Congress and a, and a Democratic president. But Bill Clinton, right? Bill Clinton, exactly. And uh, you remember the 100,000 police officers mm-hmm. uh, on the street. I think the Republicans could put something together similar to that, um, you know, based on, on their ideals. But, but instead of having 67,000 IRS agents, let's have 67,000 police officers going into your communities out there. And then I think they need to crack down on cities and states that are not enforcing laws um, that are out there. Um, There's a lot of money that flows through DOJ to fund uh, cities' uh, criminal justice efforts. And I I think Republicans could use that as a carrot and a stick to, um, you know, kind of tap cities back in line and correct some of these issues. I think that'd be very popular. Um, It it would be also strategic. Let's put the bill out there and see who votes for it and who doesn't vote for it. One of the bright spots for the Republican Party in the 2022 midterms was the state of Florida. I think the Republican Party performance underwhelmed a lot of people's expectations throughout the rest of the country, but I think it overwhelmed people's expectations in the state of Florida. So what impact do the election results in Florida have uh, in the next Congress in Washington, D.C.? Florida was really the the shining star of the election for the Republicans last night. Uh, You know, you've got a state with you know, 23, 24 million people. And uh, basically the networks were waiting for the uh, central time zone polls to close so that they could call the races. They called uh, both DeSantis and, and Rubio last night at uh, 8.01 p.m., so uh, right after the polls uh, closed in the eastern time zone. You contrast that with President Trump's uh, performance. Uh, he, he had a four-point victory um, in, in 2020, which was, you know, they called it uh, that night, which was considered a huge victory. That is a far cry from where we were in, in 2000, and we had uh, a couple hundred votes in the hanging chads in Palm Beach County that determined uh, you know, George W. Bush to be the president. So Florida has really come a long way, and not only politically, but you know, from a vote-counting point, point of view. The technology and the ability to do it right is out there. There's no reason that a state like Wisconsin, a state like New Mexico, a state like Nevada can't implement what Florida has and, and be able to report um, how the people feel. Uh, in, in 24 hours. Well, you know, we got there the hard way in Florida. I was right there in the middle of the recount back in 2000, and it was a very difficult lesson in what you need to do to try to maintain voter confidence. But after 2000, Florida did a lot of reforms. And I think what you're seeing today reflects some of that. Dan, what about the the Florida congressional delegation? There's a kind of a big difference now in terms of where the Florida congressional delegation, obviously through the census, there's an additional congressional seat that Florida receives. So we're going to have an additional representation in Congress, the state of Florida. Well, what what impact will the midterm elections have on Florida's representation in D.C.? Well, yeah, aside from Governor DeSantis's astronomical performance last night, you know, almost 20 points, right at 20 points victory, which no no one saw that. No one no one had that coming. They thought maybe double digits, but no one 
said 20%. Uh, aside from that, and uh, Senator Rubio's excellent performance uh, in the teens, uh, his, his differential, you you've now have every um, state cabinet position is now controlled by a Republican. That's the first time that's happened in, in quite a while, if ever. Uh, and then the, again, for the first time, Florida has 20 Republican members in its delegation. That makes it the second largest Republican delegation uh, in the United States, right behind Texas. So I, leadership has got to pay attention. Leadership in the House and in the Senate have to pay attention to that, like how powerful these folks are. And then you look at some of the specific members that are out there. Mario Diaz-Blart in the, in the Miami-Dade uh, area, which, by the way, broke red for the first time in, in a generation. Mario is likely to be a cardinal. He's going to be a subcommittee chairman on the Appropriations Committee, which is a very powerful position out there. You've got Gus Bilirakis, who's in the Tampa Bay, uh, greater Tampa Bay area. Gus is likely to be a, a subcommittee chairman on the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee. Mike Waltz, uh, a young guy, Green Beret, a uh, super sharp guy. He's going to be a subcommittee chairman in the um, House Armed Services Committee. And then you got Vern Buchanan, who I, I think, I believe that he's going to be the next uh, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, which is a very powerful committee. And, and Florida's never had a Florida member who is chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. So this is a big deal. And, you know, the Ways and Means Committee, it's very inside baseball. But if you think about it, they have the whole Social Security title underneath uh, their jurisdiction. So that's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. And you think about Florida's population and the amount of 65 plus and seniors that we have in Florida. That's really pretty tremendous. So I want to go back to something you said earlier, Dan. You said one of the messages from the election was have a plan, which basically is another way of saying we want to get things done. That's America saying get things done. Could there be a different vibe in Washington because of everything we, that just happened and is still happening as they go through the final counts across the country that may actually encourage that, that may motivate that? There could be. And I think what we're going to see uh, from both sides um, as Congress comes back to Washington uh, next week to do some of their organization for the uh, the next Congress, the 118th Congress, I think you're going to see an autopsy on both sides. You know, what happened? How do we win this? How do we lose this? Where did we mess up? Where do we do things right? And if you look at states like Florida and, and New York to some extent, you saw candidates and elected officials like Governor DeSantis who did have a plan. DeSantis excelled after Hurricane Ian. He excelled during COVID. Same with Governor Kemp in, in Georgia, another big winner. Uh, last night. Georgia was the first state to open up. So that was pretty tremendous. They had a plan. They had an action of how to get things done, and voters rewarded them for it. Looks like the results for the elections are going to be a little bit, the margins will be closer. We may have a 50-50 Senate again. We may have a Republican majority of just uh, less than a dozen uh, votes. What impact will that have on the lame duck session? Because the existing Congress still has quite a bit of business to get done before they go home for the holidays this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking live here on Wednesday uh, early afternoon, and, and there's been 48 Democrat Senate seats called. There's been 48 Republican seats called. Now, personally, I think Alaska, there's two Republicans running against each other. That's going to break Republican. Right. Uh, I think that we're going to see Nevada uh, break towards the Republicans. That's good. Gets them to their 50 seats. I think Arizona probably breaks towards the Democrats. Senator Kelly uh, gets reelected. Mm -hmm. So that comes back to Georgia. Georgia's headed for a runoff. So I don't think we're going to know who's the next uh, or the current senator, I should say, from Georgia until after uh, December 6. And how long will that go? On the House side, we've got 203 Republican seats have been called, 176 Democrat seats uh, called so far. You need 218 to have a majority. I predict that the Republicans are looking in that the 220s, maybe 228 
226, 224, something in that range, which is not too different than where things were during the 104th and 105th Congress. Mm -hmm. So that's absolutely an opportunity um, to move things along. There's going to have to be triangulation. There's going to have to be working together. But I think it's in both parties' best interest um, to do that and and to move forward. As far as the lame duck, if there was a true red wave and we had a 53 or 54 or 55 seat Republican majority uh, next year, I think Leader Schumer uh, would have been very much shifting his priorities from passing legislation towards confirming judges. And I think he would have probably passed a continuing resolution, punted it into March or April of next year, told the Republicans to have a great time in the majority and have fun dealing with that and the debt ceiling um, that needs to be raised and confirmed judges of the last 45 days. Now, I, I think he sees that, hey, whether it's 50-50 or 51-49, he's still going to have the ability to uh, move the judicial agenda forward for um, President Biden. And I think that that opens up the opportunity to have actually a productive lame duck. We may see the omnibus again. I think we're definitely going to see the National Defense Authorization Act. They've included the Water Bill, the Water Resources Development Act, the Army Corps uh, reauthorization, and a couple other cats and dogs things. And I think we're also going to see a tax package that uh, at least moves through the House, possibly in the Senate. So these during things... The lame duck, a tax package during the lame duck. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So that's pretty unusual. And, and I think if you would have asked me last Wednesday, I would have said no chance this happens. Because of the closeness of the American people's decisions in the congressional and Senate races, the lame duck is actually likely to be much more productive had there been a clearer victory for the Republican Party. Is that, am I understanding you well, correctly? That's a theory anyway. That's uh, your theory. That's uh, your theory. Uh, Justin, you know, that, that could all blow up on, on Tuesday when those guys get back in town, you know? Right. So, Interesting. We shall see how it goes. You said, and we were talking before the interview, that it's going to be a much more open Washington, literally, that yeah. we're coming yeah. out of the pandemic, the lockdown, the idea that you know, everyone had difficulty just getting an appointment face-to-face with anyone. That will change markedly starting in early January. How significant is that for everyone in America that they can more directly, impactfully uh, meet with their representatives? It's a huge deal. I, I think folks in, in middle America don't necessarily understand how locked down Washington still is. The House allowed proxy voting, which is remote voting, for a member of Congress, first time they've they've ever done that. They previously had a little vote card, and they go and they vote electronically uh, on the House floor. Now folks can stay home in their districts and basically phone in a proxy vote. Um, the the agencies have been largely closed. There's been politicals and a few careers coming in, but they largely have not been in the buildings. Lots been done through Zoom uh, and and other types of video and teleconference uh, type meetings. I think that uh, one of the first things the Republicans will do is open up the House side. And I think that uh, if Schumer ends up being majority leader leader, or whether it's a Republican majority leader, they're going to have to follow suit. Um, Right now, you need an escort to come into the building. You've got to have an appointment. Previously, it had been Generally open to um, you know folks, you got to go through a, a metal detector, and but once you get in, you're you're free to roam around the house buildings. That's a huge deal for tours, for school groups, for advocacy groups, um, you know, special interest groups, folks that need to meet with their member of Congress, with their senators in person. And you know, doing things with teleconference is great, but there's no substitute for shaking hands and looking someone in the eye and saying, "Hey, Senator, I need your help." Well, that was the Chamber of Commerce message from Dan McFall for Washington D.C. Thanks for joining us, uh, you know, for giving your insight. Obviously, all of America is now waiting and watching. We hope what they're waiting and watching for turns out to be very positive for all of us.
Well, thank you very much for having me. I think the rest of America is going to be waiting till uh, December 6th, until we know for sure in the Senate. So uh, I hope they're not waiting with uh, bated breath. Uh, it should start to become clear as the coming days go forward. And, and certainly uh, before the end of the year, we'll know for sure. Excellent. Thanks for being with us, Dan. Thanks for having me. Adam, that was a great conversation with our colleague and partner, Dan McFall. One of the things that I thought was just surprising to me Mm -hmm. was the fact that he thought that because the Senate's going to be so close potentially and because the Republicans are likely to have a smaller majority in the House than they thought they might have had, that actually could lead to progress and more legislation being passed during the lame duck session. And he also said that there's a possibility that there won't be gridlock in Washington. And he used the example of the Newt Gingrich Republican Revolution, 1994, working with Democratic President Bill Clinton in the first term of uh, President Clinton's uh, presidency. Americans want things to start moving again. They, they don't like gridlock. They don't like partisanship. They want something to start happening on an ongoing, predictable basis. And maybe, of all things, how strange is it that a lame duck session could be the beginning of that kind of cooperation and movement. It's really it's really remarkable. But but Adam, what what are your thoughts overall about the midterm elections? Well, beyond the fact we're all catching up on our sleep and probably will be right. uh, for the next week or so, uh, clearly we still are a split nation 50-50. In elections, candidates still matter. Issues still matter. And those are both important because when you looked at all the exit polling and you saw Uh, Not surprisingly, that inflation and the economy was number one, but abortion generally was either two or three and was clearly uh, one of the prime movers of Democratic vote last night and crime and immigration go down down the list. Issues matter. It's not just about, oh, we show up, we're on the red tribe or we're in the blue tribe. They're actually I think voters are starting to become more discerning and more demanding of candidates to kind of say what they are. Yeah. And from my perspective, to me, it just reveals the continued genius of our form of government because we are a divided nation. And the point of our government that was created by our founders was to try to create a mechanism so that different factions, different groups could make decisions together. And I think that the American people spoke and we'll still, we're still counting votes. So we're going to find out exactly what they said. But the American system of governments ultimately is always self-correcting. In other words, if one party exercises too much power, it gets they get pulled back a little bit. History shows that. And that's why presidents and governing parties always lose seats in the midterm elections. And so that's the brilliance to me of the system. And the fact that there is divided government, to me, is a little bit of a feature and not a bug. And I hope that they do work together for the American people. The midterms used to be, oh, that's the pause button time. That's when you have lower turnout, less interest. The party that's in power usually gets their heads handed to them. And then two years later, we get into the you know, the real show, right? Another presidential campaign. I believe there's no more off year. There's no more midterm off year because of mail-in ballots. And last night, when we started to hear some of the initial results, which like in the Fetterman-Oz race, the first results I saw were Fetterman's winning like 85-15. And my first reaction is, oh, that must be the absentees, as opposed to what's wrong with Pennsylvania's election system. I think now more people than ever are going to be voting that like the young young people used to be kind of relative no shows in the midterms. That's not going to be anymore. I think they're showing up by mail ballot. And I think others who are less moved to 
take the step of showing up at a polling station or to, to do anything more to, to show their civic spirit, that has also fundamentally changed. It means that forecasting campaigns and where they are in the polls have become much more hazardous and much more unpredictable and have to now be modeled on a different set of data. Right. And I think it's good. I mean, we saw this after Florida, the 2000 recount. Florida's election laws started to uh, allow early voting, the different forms of, you've seen this spread across the country. There's no more election day, it's election days. That's a complete game change in terms of our election process and when we time the debates so that voters are having information, the benefit of the debates before they have a chance to vote. From my perspective, uh, as long as the votes are counted and they're fair and everyone can ensure integrity, yeah. I think it's a good thing. To, yep. It's a good thing. The biggest challenge and a really big point of frustration that I have is that in many cases it takes way too long for votes to be counted. Amen. The longer it takes for votes to be counted, the more suspicion there is about mm. the integrity of the election. This is 2022. We have private companies putting spacecraft into air. We have lots of technological things. The right to vote and the integrity of our elections is the most important thing to make sure that people know that their votes are being counted. And the elections, I'm, I'm imploring the elections officials mm. across the country to solve this problem so that votes can be counted accurately and in a timely way, and it should not take two or three weeks to count all the votes. It shouldn't even take four or five days to count all the votes. Well, we can't close the show without talking one last time about Florida, our home state. Wow. I mean, that that result uh, with Governor DeSantis and Senator Rubio and straight down the ticket. I mean, you talk about the absence of a red tidal wave in the country. It was a red tsunami in the state of Florida, especially in Miami-Dade that went Republican for the first time in forever. What does that mean? Is there what, what can people across America take from Florida that is instructive about why that state, which used to be the swing state in America, now seems to be decidedly red? I could talk for a long time about this, but the short version is that in 2000, the state of Florida presidential election was decided by 537 votes. Here we are, 22 years later, over 1.4 million vote margin for Ron DeSantis over Charlie Crist, almost 20 points uh, difference. So what does it mean? It means that uh, successive Republican governors have created an environment where Republicans are being rewarded by voters. It's a reflection of Republican governance in the state of Florida that Ron DeSantis including his leadership, uh, that Republicans won by the margin they did, not just in the governor's race, Senator Rubio's race, right. uh, this other state cabinet races, of picking up four, four new con Republican congressional seats. Uh, all those things are a reflection. The voters are rewarding Republicans who have governed the state uh, since Jeb Bush was elected, continuously since Jeb Bush was elected in 1998. So it's, it's remarkable. And I think that other states are now going to be looking to Florida, uh, other Republican states and other states will be looking to Florida for policy issues and for political issues. And I don't think not really just politics, it's governance. I think you used right. the right word. There's a perception that the Florida story is a wonderful example of government that works. That's right. Getting things done across all fronts, uh, led by, by Governor DeSantis, but backed by, you know, elected officials all up and down uh, the state. I think that's what happened in Florida yesterday. And I'm also proud, by the way, uh, as we talked about before the show, how quickly the numbers came in. Absolutely. I mean, having been in the middle of that recount in 2000, I remember how difficult that was uh, to feel that 
the country thought we weren't doing it well. And now, two decades later, I think Florida can fairly be seen as the role model for how you hold and conduct elections. Absolutely. There were no uh, quirks or problems of, of any note. And I do think it could be a model for the rest of the, it should be a model for the rest of the country. Let's hope that the upshot of the election is, and what the country takes away from this is a reason, additional reasons to pull together, that we have Washington really getting stuff done on both sides of the aisle. And maybe it takes a Republican-led Congress to kind of spur that, but you have to have a partner to dance with. And I hope everyone comes to that dance, is a part of something that voters clearly were asking for in the midterms. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be documenting that here on our show with coming episodes. Every step of the way. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Justin. Don't miss future episodes by following us on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. Or go to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe for free. From Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park.